Welcome. You're listening to Latin Waves with your host Sylvia and Stuart Richardson. Latin Waves is more than just hot rhythms. This is a show about community, about creating a culture that is inclusive and based on fairness. Because everyone deserves dignity, respect, and has something to contribute. A new world is possible, and it all starts with us. with Dr. Maria Paez. I'm your host, Sylvia Richardson. You know, in, in addition to um, obviously upholding treaty rights for indigenous people, but also unlearning racism, you know, because I, I think a lot of the reasons why, uh, you know, Venezuela can be robbed of $190 mil- billion, you know, in money and uh, you wrote in one of your articles was the equivalent of 25 years of social services for the people of Venezuela Um, it's because people just think that we somehow in Latin America don't have the capacity to elect good governance and to uh, you know ordain our affairs in a way that will promote health and, and good way of life for all people in our in our nations but the contrary is true well that's the eurocentrism you little brown people there you know you little black people there you you know your cultures are are worthless they're they're no good there you have to do what we say because our cultures are better look look how rich and prosperous we, we are and look you're poor because you don't even know what you're doing i mean this we've heard this over and over again you know oh the indigenous peoples are lazy oh mexicans are lazy oh latin americans they don't know how to organize you know a tea party i mean we've heard this in a hundred million times. And you know what's the worst thing? Is the worst thing is that Latin Americans and indigenous people might end up believing this. This is all part of mind games. Mind games to dominate us. You know, hegemony needs a certain authority. Authority is something that isn't power, let's say a physical power, but it's the feeling that uh, you, you, you owe respect to them. This is this is when someone has authority, you know. They they're, they're not making you do something, but you know they convince you that 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 they uh, are worth obeying. Well, I tell you one thing that has been eroded in of the United States, and that is that sense of authority. If you look at history, you'd see that one of the main um, characteristics of an empire the Ottoman Empire, the British Empire, um, the Roman Empire, is that they did give something to the countries that they subdued. They imposed what, the first one that said this was Pas Romana, you know, they imposed a certain peace. The Romans, their empire was the whole Mediterranean, okay, the north and the south of it. They stopped these countries from warring with each other, basically. They walked in with their terrible legions, you know, massacred as much as they wanted to. But then afterwards they'd say, okay, you're the, you're the king of this country. Fine, you'll be the king of the country. You continue being the king, but, you know, you, you now have to um, uh, pay tribute to us in Rome. Okay, That's, so, so that was past Romana. The same thing with the British in, in, in India. They stopped these, these different Maharajas from fighting each other and they established some sort of peace. They were giving something, something. I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not defending 
imperialism, but I'm just saying what the countries got from accepting this authority. Well, the United States, since the Second World War, the only thing that it has given to the world has been war. War, war, war. The only time that the United States was not physically, actively in war was during the presidency of Jimmy Carter. Apart from that, there has not been one moment in which the United States has not had war against other countries. Look at Guantanamo. What, what aberration is that? And this is a country that goes on about the rule of law, about democracy, about human rights. I have only one word to say to the United States, and that is Guantanamo. And all those horrible, um, you know, uh, evil, secret prisons that they have in the Middle East. And so the United States has eroded, and then, of course, with their crazy president, Trump, I mean, uh, he, he, did, he did the, work, the best job in, in, in sinking the majesty of the, the United States presidency. So they are not giving very much uh, peace. Their status in the world, uh, people may not say it to their face, but they'll say it behind their back. They're, they're gone. Second of all, their economy is, quite frankly, uh, on the way down. And I don't say this um, myself. I'm not an economist, but I read what the economists are saying. And what is happening right now is that uh, the countries that they have shunned and persecuted and maligned are now rising with a different international coin, which is not the, the dollar. So the dollar's, uh, the dollar's uh, position, unique position as the, uh, the, uh, the money for the world is going down. And then you see their own social and political disaster. So they become very dangerous right now because they want very much a triumph. They want very much something to show the world that they can do uh, what they have generally done. And they're, they're not doing it because the countries are rising up. Venezuela is not alone. Venezuela is very much accompanied by the, the vast majority of the United Nations. And speaking of the United Nations, we have to protect the international law because it's the only thing that can protect the poorer countries. How do we, as a social movement, uh, cultivate that self-authority, you know, to learn to trust ourselves, to learn to trust that uh, we can imagine and co-create a different world where war is not the normal, you know, where pandemics are not the new normal, where violence and this surveillance that now rules our lives is not the way of life. How, how do we begin to undo all that? You know, because you're right, we have to protect the international law. It's an imperfect way, but it's what we have right now. And yet, looking beyond the UN, looking beyond, you know, the same tools of empire, the same instruments that have been used against us, um, how do we reimagine that world? How do we, where do we start? We're going to have to start with something that's going to hit us very, very hard, which is climate change. 
And in climate change, we don't need new fighter planes. We're going to need lots of helicopters that can land in different places very easily. These fighter planes that this government wants to buy are doing it only because the Americans want them to buy them. We don't need NATO. NATO, uh, who's it defending us from? Uh, Just ask yourself. Uh, You know, a pact of defense. You know, it it came up when there was, uh, you know, the Cold War. So NATO's defending us from what? Um, That's another thing. And then the other thing is, we need in Canada, and I know Canadians don't want this, but we need a constitutional assembly because our structure for for governance is not attuned to the new realities uh, that we will be facing. We're facing challenges from the, the, the climate change. We are facing climate. We are facing challenges from not this pandemic, this pandemic, but also others that can come. And we are facing challenges from the South, from the United States of America. Now people's eyes are being opened and realize, look, there are a bunch of crazy people in the United States who all have guns. And, and, that's, that's, and, and they don't believe in their own government. Um, they are challenging uh, their own Supreme Court. They're challenging their judicial. They're challenging their executive. They don't believe Biden won the elections. I mean, these are all serious serious, um, uh, how can I say, uh, um, breaks in the political structure of the United States. And what happens if it all goes to pot in the United States? Do you think if they have riots and, and upheaval and heaven knows what in the United States, it's not going to affect us with this tremendous border that we don't? Well, yes, we do. So we need to think about these things and ask for change. We need a change in the foreign policy. We need a change in which the indigenous peoples have a say in in governance, uh, both at the provincial and at the federal level. Um, we, we need these n- new changes. We need changes to our electoral system. You know, this first-past-the-post um, it, it, it doesn't have to be completely um, uh, proportional representation. There are there are many ways in between in which we can get uh, a more democratic system of, of education. Um, and the last, uh, b- but not least, the indigenous peoples are in the middle, as I say in my article, in a legal labyrinth. I don't even understand it. It's the the Indian Act. It's the dual um, uh, the the dual authority that some of them have. You know, the, uh, it's the fact that they they can't have um, a say in the development of their lands. Um, it, it's their isolation from the rest of the body politic. I'm sure there are scholars out there who know a lot about uh, indigenous laws, but. Me looking at it from the outside, I tell you it's a labyrinth. And this is a labyrinth which is very good because it's like a web that just tangles them up, you know. So um, we have webs too. And one of the webs is the secrecy of federal ministries, particularly the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, which has done so much damage to the relationship between 
Canada and Latin America. There's nothing I want more than a good relationship between this country and Latin America. And it should be. We have so much that we could, you know, uh, help each other and, 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 and share and, uh, and things that we have uh, in common, such as indigenous peoples. Huh? You know, I was invited to go, and I did go, to the first international um, symposium, or I think it was called conference, of the indigenous peoples of the Americas. I was so pleased. This was just, just a few weeks before the, the pandemic broke. And I went down to Caracas. And there I was with all the indigenous peoples represented from all of Latin America. And you know who was representing Canada? It was me. The indigenous people from Canada were not there. And then all of a sudden I said, no, hold on a minute. I, I can't represent the indigenous people. I, I, I'm, I'm not indigenous. You know, I was very clear. I, I'm Canadian. You've invited me. I'm here. But, you know, I, I can't speak for them. I can't say that I represent them or anything. But anyway, it was a marvelous, marvelous experience for me because the story and the, uh, the burdens and the struggles uh, were all the same, from the Rio Grande down to Patagonia, you know, one after the other. These delegates in their beautiful costumes and their and their headbands and their feathers in their head. Uh, the so many of them were women, and it's the same struggle. We're all struggling against imperialism, against these uh, these um, corporations corporations. We've got to change these laws that give corporations so much power. Uh, we've got to um, really um, realize that the rights of the indigenous peoples are also our rights. And unless we, we fight for their rights, we're not fighting for our rights either, because we're going to be flattened by that steamroller just the same as they are. So, and basically, uh, <laughs> we're in the same boat. You know, my um, my father-in-law used to go swimming, and there was one day there was a kid uh, who was kicked out of the pool for peeing in the pool. And uh, my husband said, well, how do you know he was peeing in the pool? He says, because everybody could see it. <laughs> and, and I thought about, yeah, you can't have a peeing corner in a pool. And it's the same with justice. We can't have a little place where we just let all the injustice happen and everyone else is just fine. You know, as long as we allow injustice for indigenous people, we're going to live with injustice for us. And, and in, in many ways, we're going to continuously experience violence. Um, there are so many laws that have been imposed, isolation mandates, shutting down of cities, and yet, you know, I, I see a lot of uh, big corporations were never in any way harmed, right? Like Walmart was open the whole time, you know, Costco was open. None of the big ones were forced to close down. And yet the mom and pop stores that have, you know, could have easily limit the number of people that entered their stores at a time were forced to close down. And and so I think it's important to recognize, right, the, the abuse of power that has been used and how this surveillance uh, continues perhaps pose 
pandemic is important also to notice. You know, in Latin America, we see that once they put in certain regulations, they're not coming down. You know, they told us about the war on drugs, the war on drugs, which really was the criminalization of activists in Latin America during the 80s. You know, it had nothing to do with drugs. You know, the drugs are usually moving to the states, which is its biggest consumer. Um, but the war on drugs was a very useful tool for empire to mobilize, militarize our streets. And, um, and so understanding the lessons we have learned from hegemony, you know, from empire, from being subjects of empire, and I, I, I think is, it's, it's a good time for us to not only awaken to those things that we have lived in our bodies. Our bodies are wise. They know. They remember things. You know, even though our brain sometimes freezes and shuts down because it's too much, we're in overwhelmed from all the things we've seen and experienced. Um, it's important to recognize that we can realign our nervous system by being in community with others. And perhaps I think that's what Venezuela has been a good example of, is the way the community there has sustained their struggle for sovereignty, their struggle for, um, you know, creating a new social system that will allow yep. all these people to survive, and not just to survive, but to thrive, because we've been in survival mode for too long. You listen to Latin Ways. To support our work, please visit latinwaysmedia.com and consider becoming a member for as little as $1 per month. Thank you for listening. No, it's been a, it's a different country uh, altogether from what it was, and uh, we will prevail. That's all I can tell you, because we have prevailed in the middle of horrendous persecution and horrendous pandemic, and the um, the the basis of the solidarity that the uh, Venezuelan uh, Bolivarian Revolution does with its own people. Uh, has been the backbone. Uh, nobody can feel alone in Venezuela right now, because there are so many ways in which um, in which um, people are connected. That's re- really why the country has not collapsed. As you move through different uh, circles of students and community uh, gatherings. Um, what have you learned is the resistance? Because I think sometimes it's a resistance to acknowledge, right, our own complicitness sometimes. In many ways, I think um, education means just being able to unlearn as well as learn new things, you know? It's uh, mm-hmm. being able to cultivate imagination, being able to uh, co-create with others a different path forward. Um, what do you feel are some of the lessons we have learned from this chapter, you know, in our revolutionary history in Latin America? One thing we have learned for sure is that we have to help ourselves and the communities have to help themselves and the grassroots are part of that. Um, That the army alone can't defend ourselves that we've got the militias, uh, which is the eyes and ears and help of the communities who are helping uh, to defend ourselves, that the agriculturalists alone can't 
can't deliver the food, that they need the communal councils and the communes to, to, to sow the fields and to transport the food to those who need it, uh, that um, the medical services, we needed the Cubans to come and help us and to teach our, 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 our students how to be uh, real good community uh, doctors. You, you know how in one year over 2 million Venezuelans learn how to read and write? It wasn't that we had two million uh, teachers teaching them. It was to organize in each community with the manuals and the videos so that those who could read and write taught those who couldn't. So it was the people teaching the people how to read and write. There's no... um, Illiterates in Venezuela right now, except uh, it's less than one percent those people who are mentally ill that you know can't do it. There's, but there's this is this is the UN, the UNESCO saying there is no illiteracy in Venezuela. It was the people who knew how to read and write with the Cuban method taught their neighbors how to read and write. They didn't have to go to a special school after work when they were tired. It was in their own community. They they go to the uh, to the house of their neighbor who could read and write, and the neighbor would put on this video, and the, and the neighbor had the, the, the books and whatever, and it was the neighbor who could read and write who taught all the other neighbors. And this happened all over the, the, the country. So what did we learn with the Bolivarian Revolution? That, that we help ourselves, that we help, we help each other if we're organized, if we are organized. And it took the Bolivarian Revolution to organize this. Um, what what did we uh, see just uh, a year ago in May? How these mercenaries from Colombia wanted to attack Venezuela through the coast, and it was the coastal fishermen, the humble fishermen of the coast that caught them. Um, <laughs> so uh, these are the kind of things that Venezuela has learned how to be resilient, how to be strong. And because the, the United States has been so vile um, to us, th- there's no question that we are fighting an external, um, an external enemy. And the people inside Venezuela who are the upper class, who are in cahoots with these people on the outside, well, they have no, no, no political future. They know that they, that they will never be elected, that uh, they have been in the wrong side of history. And so I think that the Bolivarian Revolution is going to do very well in the next election, which is in November, where they're going to elect um, governors and mayors uh, in, the, in, in the country. And, and you will see it there, uh, because the people uh, are very wise. As a society, you know, we also are part of a global community. And what is your call for the global community and the people who are in support of the revolution in Venezuela? Well, it's very important because the struggle of of Venezuela is a universal struggle. It is not a localized struggle. It is a struggle for peace. It is a struggle for international law. It is a struggle for liberty. And I will repeat this because I've said this before. The history of the 20th century would have been different if when the Republic of Spain was fighting against the fascists 
and the, these I, I mean I mean real fascists in, in Spain uh, who were united with the Nazis, right? And they overthrew the Republic of Spain. You had individual um, volunteers. We had a brigade here, the um, the Bethune Brigade, and we had the International Brigade that went to Spain to try and help. But the countries did not help the Republic, the actual legal, um, democratically elected Republic of Spain. And it emboldened the Nazis, because what did the Nazis do? They used the civil war in Spain as a litmus test. They used their planes and dropped the bombs that they were going to bomb uh, uh, Europe with afterwards. They destroyed the, um, the, the Spanish uh, Republic. And what did the brains of the Nazis said? You see, the rest of the world were cowards. They let us take over Spain. It's going to be a piece of cake to take over Europe because they're all cowards and they're not going to oppose us. And so the hordes of the Nazis went into Poland and Czechoslovakia and and Paris and did all the horrible things that they did in the in the Holocaust because the litmus test was Spain. Well, let me tell you, the litmus test today is Venezuela. And if we allow these devils of war in Washington, these malicious people who believe in torture and bombs and lies uh, over, overturn the Venezuelan revolution, then there will be no hope. So I tell the rest of the world, I tell this global uh, you know, people, just like it's happening to Venezuela, it could happen to you unless you put a stop to this vicious fascism that we see right now that is growing every day more and more in the United States and within Europe also. So the struggle of Venezuela is not the struggle of this little, you know, insignificant little country in Latin America. It is the struggle for peace. It is the struggle for justice. Okay. And it is the struggle for liberty. And we will pay a huge price collectively if they do not support Venezuelan people today. Mm. And that goes for Canada, too. Mm. So it's, it's been great talking to you. It's such an I, amazing... I always feel honored when you call me. And we always have such great conversations. <laughs> it goes all over the place, but that's the way converse, good conversations go. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for all your work, for all oh. the ways that you um, keep us remembering you know our own power really because i think your your call to people to realize that we have to help ourselves in order to create the world we want to live in and that means take responsibility for the places where we are compromised you know and unlearn unlearn decolonize you know the colonizers <laughs> way of being and to relearn, right, our own beauty, our own ability to create peace, to create... Well, your work in, on, on the media is absolutely essential. We need, uh, we need your media. We need your, your radio station. We need uh, this space that is so denied us. 
to to be able to talk about these things that others do not want to listen to. So I thank you most profoundly, Sylvia, and especially I thank you for your great solidarity. Thank, thank you. you so much for calling me. Thank you. Thank you Bye-bye. again for being with us. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Latin Waves. Latin Waves is an independently produced syndicated radio program made available for free to campus and community radios and also to the world at latinwavesmedia.com. Please visit the website to hear previous shows, hear about upcoming events, and consider becoming a member for as little as $1 per month.